This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 122 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. The first week of August, the first couple of days, myself, Noah Grant, alongside Nick Maxson, as always. And Nick, a brainchild of yours, once again comes to fruition. And normally people would shudder at that type of comment, but I think today's show uh, might enlighten people for a little bit more fun. Uh, some NCHC previews going on. Uh, first, we're going to start uh, in reverse order of what we anticipate next year's finishing order is going to be at the end of the NCHC regular season. Subject to change, quite obviously, I think even when we start with the team that we're starting with today, um, there are some changes that you know still might bode some promise with a very young group over in the state of Ohio. Other than that, uh, a couple of other signings in the early portions of the show, as always. And then our extra ice session. You know, I think we've asked this question a lot, but what is honestly going on with the Chicago Blackhawks? Even Jonathan Taves has no idea. Uh, so we're going to dissect everything related to that club and beyond. Without further ado, we'll start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly, Ronald Noah, Center Ice View, News and Notes, and I think one of the free agents that uh, was with the NHL uh, probably didn't even file arbitration, but apparently they're going to be walking away from the table. We're talking about Adidas. <laughs> yes, so the um, NHL's official uniform sponsor um, uh, essentially is not going to renew its contract. Now, mind you, the current um, agreement does go into two, uh, 2224, uh, excuse me, 2324. Numbers are not yeah. my thing on Mondays. Um, <laughs> two so, years for those who are curious. Yes. So maybe that's where yeah. that was coming from. Uh, two years left on their current deal. I think they took over what, 2016, 2014? Uh, 2017, 18 was their first okay. season. Uh, the parent company that ended up buying out Reebok. So, like a lot of people yes. have said, uh, kind of jumping in here, I guess. A lot of people have said that, oh, well, Adidas hasn't been around that long. Well, really, it's technically Reebok 2.0, which has been around since yes. 2006. So um, yeah. it's interesting. It's interesting. And you kind of wonder, does that open the door for maybe a bigger brand such as Nike uh, to yeah. get back into the game? Uh, heard some rumblings about that. I'm not sure if that holds really any weight currently. Um, but how big for the NHL if Nike were to step up? 
and to become a uniform sponsor. I mean, that would be huge for the game uh, in multiple different levels. So we'll have to keep our eyes on yeah. who takes over that contract. Uh, very, I thought Adidas had done a nice a bit of refresh from Reebok. Now, mind you, not a ton of changes, but I think what they did has been, you know, it's been good. The reverse retros were, were a nice yeah. money grab for them. Um, supposedly, maybe that's happening again this year, but we'll keep you guys posted on those. Um, yeah. Here's, you know, you know, it's weird, though. I just wanted to jump in and say it's weird. A lot of people don't like the shoulders on the new Adidas jerseys, the kind of like, I don't know what you would call it, like the little like, like foam mesh. sponge type yeah. thing. Um, I, I, had, I had no issue with it. Um, I think the NHL's biggest challenge, and this has been hockey's issue for a long time, especially as I uh, really, uh, you can note it back to the transition between wood sticks versus uh, split uh, two two piece sticks and then true composite sticks as we moved on through. As we saw a lot of changes in branding, you know, Easton used to be a big brand, CCM used to be a bigger brand than sure you know, what they are. And, yep, Reebok was in there as well, Mission and of course. Huge. Yeah, and of, and of course, Bauer, and I think really the only company that has stood the test of time in terms of being the empire that it was, so to speak, is probably Bauer. I think all the rest of these teams really have kind of had some ebbs and flows, and Bauer certainly has had his own troubles too, obviously. But uh, you kind of wonder who's going to be the New Jersey supplier. There's not there's not a hockey group in mind that sticks out. I mean, CCM, Reebok, they've all made jerseys. Um, Bauer, really not so much, but they're really – there isn't somebody that stands out in my mind. I think Nike or Under Armour obviously are bigger name clothing brands that stand out to a lot of people. But beyond that, I don't really know. Don't really we'll know. have to get burns on it, right? See how that goes. Um, again, could be a really good thing, you know, depending on what yep. uh, changes the new supplier may have. Um, speaking of big changes, how about this one? Kind of confusing a little bit. And what I mean by that is, <laughs> you know, it, it, it could signal either really good Depending on how you look at it, uh, the Anaheim Ducks are the suitors that get John Klingberg on a one-year kind of prove-it contract, $7 million. Um, now, mind you, six goals, 41 assists, 74 games played uh, last season for the Dallas Stars. Uh, again, uh, a kind of a goofy situation, no to say it lightly. Yeah. Uh, apparently came out before the trade diamond. Like he had requested a trade from Dallas, uh, never made a move on him. Uh, supposedly, they were in contract talks. Bells didn't go anywhere, so now Anaheim swoops and gets uh, uh, John Klingberg, who um, good puck-moving defenseman, good skater, uh, maybe a little bit less on the defensive side, but uh, certainly a good uh, driver of possession, you could say, as far as uh, the back end is concerned. And for Anaheim, on a one-year deal, this is a very low-risk, potentially high-reward type scenario where, depending on how Anaheim does, now mind you, they started off kind of hot last year, yeah. Before they fell back to earth, you kind of wonder if they make any more moves. Uh, and with Pat Verbeek at the helm, um, even if it's not this year, you know, does maybe they do they improve enough, or maybe John Klingberg signs a longer term deal with them, or at worst, if Anaheim stumbles, he's uh, that's a tradable contract for a, a one year rental. So, a lot of good things on this signing actually for Anaheim, whether they keep him or not. Yeah, 29 years of age, and uh, as a lot of outlets have pointed out, uh, very Taylor Hall-esque, uh, pretty much identical to the contract he signed a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, yeah, low risk, high reward, obviously, and it's not that much that's not usual that you say that for a $7 million average annual value of a contract being that way. But it's funny because the whole thing stemmed from him just feeling like he was not being valued by the stars as to what he thought he was worth. Well, it's funny how things kind of progress. We'll talk about this a little bit in the extra eye session, but it sounds like um, 
if Patrick Kane was ever moved, it sounds like right now Dallas, the Dallas Stars are the front runner for uh, picking him up with that cast space. So um, give a little, take a little. I don't know. We'll have to see. But good for John Klingberg and the Anaheim Ducks. Certainly uh, a good infusion. They really, um, you know, they've had a couple of guys that have kind of fit that mold. But really, your Cam Fowler's. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk's, but really, other than that, there really hasn't been a primo defenseman since maybe Scott Niedermeyer. Um, right. They may but, have one future-wise with uh, Jamie Drysdale, but he's still very, very yeah. young and still developing. Josh, Josh Manson was okay, I think, but, you know, uh, he's a big name for him if he continues to produce the way he does. So, 100%. Uh, a couple other signings. Uh, Matthew Joseph uh, signing with the Ottawa Senators four years, just a shade under $3 million annual annual value. Um, again, former temp. Tampa Bay product, uh, 25 years of age, 12 points in 11 games um, after he was traded for Nick Paul in March. Uh, so he re-signs that. Uh, Rangers adding also 21-year-old Capo Cackle for two years. So he gets an extension, 2.1 million, uh, kind of a bridge deal there for um, the former second overall pick. And Anaheim also re-upping RFA for Isaac Ludestrom uh, for a term of $1.8 million per season. Also for two years, I should add. And then yeah. some one-year contracts. How about this one? Yes, a Puliyarvi. There's not a more interesting contract versus team than Yes, a Puliyarvi, um, who was drafted by Edmonton, goes back home, comes back, was very adamant he didn't want to resign, and then signs a one-year pity contract. Okay, I'm confused. Yeah. But $3 million after scoring 36 points last year. Um, Ethan Bear for the Hurricanes, $2.2 million after 14 points and just under 60 games. Uh, former Wild forward Ryan Donato um, re-upping with the Kraken, $4.2 million. Pittsburgh adding Denton Heinen back in a $1 million deal. Now, mind you, he was an RFA. They let him go to UFA. They were able to get him back. Now, if I recall correctly, the qualifying offer for him was closer to the three four million dollar mark so pittsburgh rolling the dice there able to get retain him for a more team-friendly number and then detroit adding defenseman robert hag eight hundred thousand dollars after last season split with both the buffalo sabers and the florida panthers yeah one more on this list too jonas siegenthaler a five-year deal for him by the way 17 million total for him just over three uh and a quarter per season 14 points in 70 games a 25 year old defenseman for the devils as well so uh you know a couple of guys getting their paydays uh, i always like jonas siegenthaler's game uh, very little known i think playing with a poor new jersey devil squad over the past couple of seasons uh two more topics here uh to kind of roll through uh, in retirement news, uh, California it seems like it must be nice. Um, and uh, it must be. yeah, we'll have to see moving forward for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one being that the San Jose Sharks will retire forward Patrick Marlowe's number 12 on February 25th. He'll be the first player in franchise history, which sounds kind of weird when you think about it, but then it doesn't sound that kind of weird when you think about it, right? Um, all-time leader in goals and points and is the NHL's all-time games played leader with 1,179 games. 566 goals, 631 apples over the course of 23 seasons. 21 of those were with the San Jose Sharks. So that one uh, in this list, very well-deserved. Um, hell of a career no for question. him. I, I think I think there's no secret that he definitely deserves a jersey in the Raptors. The other one, hmm, uh, Los Angeles uh, will retire Dustin Brown's number 23. And I, and I don't know if it's so much the number retiring. I think it's the second part, unveiling a statue as well uh, on February 11th. Uh, for him, the seventh player 
um, to have his number retired for the team. Uh, Roger Vachon, Marcel Dion, Dave Taylor, Wayne Gretzky, Luke Robitaille, and Rob Blake are the others. Um, and it's not it's not that surprising. You know, he's, he's a player. I mean, all of his 18 seasons were with the LA Kings, two Stanley Cups, franchise's leader in games played. But he's only sixth in goals, eighth in assists, and seventh in points. Now, granted, 712 points in just under 1,300 games is still a heck of a feat in today's NHL, and I'm not taking anything away from that. Um, I just don't know that Dustin Brown, especially towards the middle of his career where he kind of struggled, he just never seemed like he was that guy that was the extra the extra gear necessary to have a number retired and a statue unveiled. It kind of goes back to the same conversation that we had about Miko Koivu in Minnesota, where he was a hell of a hockey player, but he was just on that silver lining where it's like, you can make the argument for, and you can make the argument against. So, well, a quick comment on that too, Noah. And I think we talked about this during the Miko Koivu retirement uh, ceremony as well as, there's two parts of this equation, right? There's what a lot of people focus on, which is the on-ice success. Uh, again, Dustin Brown, like Miko Koivu, a lot of the team accolades, a lot of where his respect has been earned has been actually off the ice. Again, team captain for a number of years. Um, they credit him and his leadership for LA winning those two cups in just under three seasons, uh, really kind of being the voice and, you know, I guess, you know, leading the charge. So, um, and again, when you go back to that list, Marcel, Dion, Wayne Gretzky, just name a couple. Um, you talk about, you know, what was it, eighth in goals or sixth in goals? Um, sixth, yeah. Sixth. The the players' names that you mentioned before, I believe there's a, probably a bunch of those that are above him. So you talk about recent players that have had the impact on that franchise. I get it. Now, you know, from a hockey purist sense, yeah, the numbers may not be super exciting. But again, I, I think L.A. really does credit that uh, time of their franchise, a lot of what Dustin Brown was able to carry both uh, more than maybe off the ice. Certainly he was an impact player, uh, maybe not necessarily in the score sheet. I believe that's where you're seeing the statue and no question the number gets retired. But I believe that statue has more to do um, with his voice more than it does maybe with his skill set. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because I think obviously, you know, and everybody has their ups and downs. You know, you have your Drew Dowdy's, your Andre Kopitar's too, that were part of that group as well too, Jonathan Quick. Um, you know, right. so it's kind of like, where do you draw the line, I guess, so to speak? I see all of those guys as a collective group, so to speak. So it's kind of right. like, you know, do you see them all together or is Dustin Brown, you know, one step ahead of the rest of those guys? I don't know that you can make that argument, but nonetheless, you know, he had a hell of a career and I'm not going to take anything away from the guy, obviously just, you know, food for thought. Uh, and I, I've seen comments on both sides of that waiver wire, but for sure. Uh, yeah. More games in the show than I'll ever play. So let's just put it that way. Um, right. <laughs> in keeping in light with recent weeks, our final topic, um, the CEO of hockey Canada will not step down, but another Canadian was actually exonerated uh, this past week, Nick, a story that we covered uh, a fair amount of time ago. And uh, it's always, in some sense, it's nice to see these stories, obviously the difficult conversations, but uh, yeah, interesting news here. A jury on Tuesday found former Vancouver Canucks forward Jake Vertanen not guilty of sexual assault a week after um, a week, I should say, after a week of salacious testimony for him. Um, this was a incident that was stemming back from September 2017. Uh, the Canucks essentially placed him on leave after 100 total games in the National Hockey League. Um, or points, I should say. Um, he was 25 years of age at this current point. Um, and uh, 
he like wept openly. He cried when the verdict was read um, in the Supreme Court of British Columbia. So a very interesting thing. Um, he was charged in January with sexual assault in connection with an incident in a downtown Vancouver hotel um, with a woman uh, back in 2017. She said uh, the sexual encounter was non-consensual. Uh, he said it was. Um, and the Crown and Defense Counsel finished their closing arguments Monday by focusing on the reliability of the trials, only two witnesses and their conflicting testimonies. So um, interesting little story. 16 points in 36 KHL games last season. He was over uh, in Russia. So um, kind of a happy story uh, in a sense. It's it's one of those that, you know, you don't really know how to feel at the end of it, uh, even mm. that he's been exonerated. but. Um, you kind of well, wish him the best, and you hope that he moves forward somehow. There are no happy endings with these, yeah. And I, I think it's I think when we talk about these outcomes, I think that's probably the best way to phrase it, Noah. Yeah. When you're being found not guilty, um, there's two ways you can look at it, and I think the 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 masses love to view it as this never happened when that's probably far from the truth. It doesn't mean something didn't happen. In fact, a lot of the time, sometimes the prosecution just can't prove it. Yeah. And when you have in this specific case, you have conflicting testimony, especially in a case like this, it's sexual assault slash sexual harassment, where a lot of it is relied on testimony. If you have conflicting stories, that's powerful. That's powerful, yeah. especially for Jake uh, Vertan inside of it. But. Mm -hmm. You mentioned him crying about it, right? So what's good and bad about the situation is what what's good is does that mean Jake Vertanen maybe gets another shot at the NHL? Maybe. We don't know. Um, does that mean that the you know alleged victim, I, I think it's still appropriate to call it the victim in this case, yeah. uh, regardless of the outcome, right? Um, is there anything good here, right? Um, allegedly, right? We, I, we just don't know. Um, the one thing that I think is good that we can say is, at least from a perspective of the public view on this, this usually marks the end of that, which means what we all hope for in these situations that everybody involved can at least start the process of putting this behind them, looking forward. And again, you just hope that, you know, the folks that are involved, whatever help they need, whether it's, you know, mental health, whatnot, those services are available and however that needs to be dealt with moving forward. Um, they have the right uh, and the access to those services because again, you know, these are very difficult things to talk about. Again, there's there's really not a clear cut answer here, Noah. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to explain to the viewers that we don't really hold the view one way or the other because we're not in their shoes. You know, I, I, we're yeah. not Jake Vertanen. We're not you know the alleged victim uh, in this case or the two witnesses that were there um, having to relive this. Uh, you just hope again that this starts to put the closure on the situation of these events and that everybody can move forward and be able to have, uh, you know, just another day looking forward, I guess. Yeah, you can take solace in the fact that due process was had um, according to the mm -hmm. legal system um, and that uh, the result was what it was. Uh, and now you hope that people can move on uh, and do other things with their lives, quite obviously. So uh, with that being said, we're going to do some other things, too. We're going to get started with the first of eight NCHC previews here in the main show.
And welcome into episode number 122 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, for another episode, another rendition, and a rip-roaring good time. Uh, talking some college hockey for the first time in a long time here. So kind of good to get back in the swing of things. Uh, the NCHC, of course, is awaiting us at the start of October. Um, and kind of the way that some of these NCHC previews are going to work, I think, to break break it down for the folks and kind of give them a general idea of what, the, what they're going to be able to be expecting here, like you mentioned eight teams because i know this might be shocking but there are eight teams uh in the ncac so oh, no way yeah crazy right um so we're going to do them in reverse order from what we think uh the reverse order of the standings is going to be uh and we're going to kind of go through a, a general theme of sorts and apologies uh to everyone who was on the twitter sphere i didn't mean to post the the opening for the questions for the miami red hawks until um this earlier this afternoon we're recording for us on monday night uh because it's been a hectic week so hopefully i'll be on top of that a little bit more so apologies for that we don't we only have one listener question but uh we'll try to grow that as we go forward as well but general outline we're going to talk about uh just a general overview of the team that we're talking about followed by some team stats player stats um the incoming freshman transfers and some departures that went on over this past off season weird to say that in college hockey but of course you know covid rules still carrying over into the subsequent seasons with the transfer portal. And then we'll preview this season as well, what we think about those incoming freshmen, as well as the players they've got on their roster, and then take a look at their schedule and uh, finish with some listener questions as well. So without further ado here, Nick, um, did you have anything else to add? First of all, I might as well ask. Yeah, the preview is solid, so let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, number eight, we do have the Miami Red Hawks. Uh, last season, uh, coached by Chris Bergeron, who this upcoming year will be in his fourth season, along with both his assistant coaches in Barry Shoot and Eric Rude. Of course, Eric Rude, former St. Cloud State women's hockey head coach uh, here in the Granite City. Um, their home rink, uh, the Goggin Ice Center, otherwise known as the Steve Cady Rink in Oxford, Ohio, uh, seats 3,642 at the time of recording, um, and they do not have a goaltender or volunteer coach at this time. So, uh, Nick, they, they're they a team that has a, first of all, I, before we jump into it, I think it's always fun to talk about college hockey rinks. Um, mm-hmm. This rink is a bit of a newer rink, um, and I think for the knock on where Miami is maybe standings-wise or has been in the past couple years for the NCAA, they still get pretty good attendance, and it's a pretty rocking building. It is, and you, it's it's one of those you know sort of good college hockey stories because oftentimes you have almost the opposite where you have a really good team and they just don't draw <clears throat> golfers. Sorry, um, so <laughs> had to throw a jab out there. Whoa. But then you have a, a team that's been you know record wise. I think it's fair to say it hasn't been great, um, and they have still been able to draw decent crowds. Um, and I think for Miami. You know, I, I think this is definitely a show me year. And I, I think it's a show me year for, for Bergeron and the coaching staff. Yeah. Um, because, uh, again, at year three, year four, you expect some sort of change or you expect some sort of results that you promise when you get hired for the job. Granted, in college hockey, it's a lot of transition. Again, with the COVID transfer rules, you wonder how some of that has played um, into some of the way that they have had to construct their roster, retain their roster. Um, recruiting, grad transfers, so on and such forth. But at the end of it, I still think re- regardless of all of that, just based on their recent history, this no question needs to see improvement or else there may be some other changes coming for uh, Miami, unfortunately. 
Yeah, certainly going to talk about the stamp on the team as, of course, the incoming freshman groups are the process of years and years of recruiting to get them to this point. So we'll have to see if they can make their stamp. Last season, 36 games for the club, 24 conference games, 10 non-conference, two conference playoff games for them that ended in an exit in the NCSU quarterfinals and uh, thus the end of their season. Eighth out of eight teams in the NCHC, finishing with 17 overall points. And they were 45th out of 59 in the pairwise, uh, winning just over 28% of the comparisons. Um, conference record uh, was a 419 and one, uh, just over uh, essentially a 188 winning percentage and a 727 and two overall record, just over a 220 winning percentage for them. 411 and one on the road, 316 and one, excuse me, 411 and one at home and 316 and one on the road. Uh, they were 05 and two in overtime as well. They did not, um, they did not get a victory in overtime, although they did get a victory in one of their shootouts uh, in the two that they were in. So uh, we'll talk about that as well. Um, their wins, their seven wins, three of them actually, I didn't know this until I looked back, came against Omaha. Um, so That's right. they yeah. really had the Mavs number one against Duluth, um, actually technically two, one regulation win against Duluth. Uh, the second, uh, was a shootout win for them. They also tied Bowling Green was the other tie that they had along with the Bulldogs, Ferris State, Long Island and Mercyhurst marked the other wins. Uh, the most losses that they had coming against any one team pet the past season, uh, Denver six times and Western Michigan, Colorado college, um, each swept both of the series that they had, so all four games, and St. Cloud and North Dakota only having two games apiece with the squad and winning all of those games as well, too. So, um, Nick, is there any surprise there uh, when it before we get into the, the real deep team stats statistic-wise? As you look at their overall record and the teams that they've won against, the teams that they've lost against, uh, was there any surprises that kind of popped out? Anything that you noticed as the season kind of went along? I think if anything, what surprised me was they, they hung tight with some of the more, shall we say, physical clubs. Um, again, yeah. Duluth was a team that, and this is a little bit on both sides, right? You know, Miami trying to grit it out. Uh, Duluth, again, was a very up and down team this last year, but we'll talk about that more in detail later on in the weeks as we go through the previews. But I kind of feel like, too, some of that record numbers, and let's just be straight, they're not great. Yeah. But there were a lot of games that they kind of held into until about the third period, and then things just sort of broke away. Um, I think the biggest thing for Miami was they just didn't score. Um, you know, yeah. so they were, I think, conference worst in terms of scoring. Very um, much so. I, very much so. Uh, also, defense was not great at all either. So the goal differential was, I, I believe it was minus over 100, if I remember the statistics correct. So uh, scoring differential, since we're jumping into it, they were minus 1.64 goals per game compared to their opponents, which their goals per game actually wasn't terrible. It was 2.6, but they gave up 4.25 to their opponents. Um, scoring uh, by period, like you mentioned, third period was the worst for them. But overall, um, they were minus 59 in the goal category, but they were minus 491 in the shot total. So they were not drivers of possession at any no. point, uh, you know, and uh, like a per game total was just under 14 shots less per game, which as you and I know, especially in the college hockey world, Nick, minus 14 shots per game is almost essentially a period's worth of shots that you're giving up yeah. extra to the team that you're playing. Right. And when Miami was in St. Cloud, I mean, that was, I mean, it was, we'll say this, it was ugly. 
to say yeah. that was a it was an NCHC record for for goals scored. I believe it was nineteen goals, or was yeah. it over twenty? I think it was nineteen in two games. And yeah, you know, it's one was, of those. I think it was eighteen. I think it was eighteen or nineteen. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's just say this. You know, I'm not trying to to drudge on Miami at all, um, but because the one thing they did do is they came out the next night. They still gave an effort, but you you could see that. There, there's some structural things that are very, shall we say, dirty. They're not clean. Um, you, you can see the lack of offense is is triggering some of the things that they're trying to do. Um, a lot of trapping, especially in the neutral zone. Um, so it's it's not a surprise, going back to your original point, Noah, with some of the things that happened. Yeah. But I think the other thing, too, and I've mentioned this in other years past, is the message from Chris Bergeron, too. Um, and I'm not trying to go down on this coach because I've, I've talked to him a couple. I mean, he seems like a, a good dude. Yeah. But you do wonder with coaching strategies, right, or, or the way you approach coaching, what that message is and how long is that shelf life, right? Um, in the in a, essentially the NCHC media day, which happens in September here in St. Paul, and he talked about how the effort level needs to be there. And I get it. When you don't have maybe per se the skill, you have to at least give an effort. And as we heard time and time again, and what Miami wasn't in St. Cloud until February. So from September to February, the message didn't really change. And you kind of wonder too, that do the players know this and, and is it, is there a weight on them as well? Because you, you got to know that by that point, the, the record is what it is. Um, you know, you're where your deficiency are at and yeah, you still want them to try, but at some point does the message need to change too? And you kind of wonder, has that affected recruiting? Has that affected retention? I mean, again, they're to your captain, Derek Dashke, often running yeah. to Duluth. So there's some questions there. And uh, again, no, again, me, no surprise of, of how a lot of things did pan out this year. Yeah, certainly we'll get into the, a couple of the, their losses this season, obviously, as far as personnel is concerned. Um, you know, but there are some underlying numbers and you wonder that if it's more a process of, you know, with teams like this and knowing that, because you look at my the Red Hawks and you think, you know, if they were in the CCHA or if they were in some of these other conferences, they'd be top tier. They'd be, you know, top one, two, or three um, in some of these conferences with the personnel that they have. The NCHC is arguably the most competitive conference in college hockey, you know, and they might be an upper echelon team. Like, for example, I mean, let's throw out the easy one here. I mean, if you put Miami back, or not back, if you put them over in Atlantic hockey, they'd run away with that conference potentially. Like, they're a good hockey team. It's just they're stuck in a conference that unfortunately has even better teams with them and uh, a good example of that last season uh, they only outshot their opponents in six total games this season and they lost four of them um when they were outshot by their opponents somehow they found a way to win uh five of those hockey games and tie two others um but yeah as far as the one goal games when you talked about hanging around two and eight in one goal game so not able to get over the hump with those either um when they were leading or after one or after two periods, they were five, seven, and one. So they didn't even have a winning percentage when they were leading after one period and after two periods. So, uh, and when they were trailing after period number one, they only had one victory and one tie. And after two, they had 16 losses and nada besides that. So, um, you know, and when they were tied after one, they were one and five on the season. So you talk about, you know, how the game just slowly kind of got away from them. However, Nick, three more stats to go here. Um, and they're actually- Only three? 
Yeah, and yeah, actually, I I, I cut it down this year for our <laughs> listeners. Um, but this one, this these ones are actually pretty decent. Uh, they took essentially one penalty less per game uh, than the other team that they were playing. They were not a highly penalized team by any means, um, and their power play percentage um, was twenty point four percent. They were twenty nine for one forty two. Actually, a pretty good power play percentage when they did yeah. when they did get on the man advantage. Unfortunately, penalty kill wise to round it out, uh, just under seventy five percent. They allowed forty power play goals Ouch. in the season. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely a, a big challenge, Nick. Uh, and we know with the NCHC, um, and obviously that power play um, total was probably ruined a little bit by the weekend in St. Cloud of all things. But beyond that, you know, let's go back to the conversation we just had. When you are a team that, you know, the fight is not necessarily there, or we've seen a little bit with the St. Cloud State women's team sometimes too, where we've seen it where it's been, oh, we get scored on, you see the body language change a little bit, and Mm -hmm. they're not able to regroup and that sort of thing. Is the message, is it fair to say that right now with this team is focusing on being the best team you can when it comes NCH quarterfinal time to be able to maybe handle an upper echelon team and throw out a surprise? Or do you really think that it is all about not only the year long process, but can you get a jump on some teams and grab some wins early? Like, do you think the focus is more where a lot of the upper tier teams are and saying, we need to take care of business early and put ourselves in a good spot, which is obviously what every team wants to do. Don't get me wrong. Or is the focus more, if we can do that, that's great. But really, our main goal and where we're at as a program is to show that when it comes to postseason time, which is the NCHC quarterfinals for this team for the past couple of years, that that's where the money is made. I think it's a little bit of both. And I say that this, and I, I feel like I see that a lot with your questions, but um, let's break that down. What do I mean? So again, over the last couple of seasons, Miami has, let's just say their record hasn't been great, right? We yeah. we've, we've beat that to a dead horse. Yeah. Um, let's just say confidence is probably not high um, if you're in that locker room. Um, a lot of anxiety. And, you know, when you get into that spot, you know, you start maybe overthinking the game. You maybe start doing some things that you probably would normally not do. So how do you get out of that, right? You get out of that by you need some early confidence. So a lot of the teams, and part of the reason why, you know, minus NCAA rules, which were dumb and finally got fixed, um, you know, those exhibition games, right, were a way to maybe build some confidence, right? You know, there's a big reason why um, Alberta and, you know, a couple of other of these um, Canadian colleges would come down because, yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to smoke them. But, you know, it's a feel-good moment more than anything. It's a confidence builder. And I think Miami needs that not only in a non-conference schedule. I do think they need some early conference. I don't know if wins necessarily. I would think it would be nice. But I think they need to feel like they can hang with some people. Um, yeah. And I think that goes a long way. Now, in doing that, that can help jumpstart the process, right? We talk about the process because you're absolutely right. You have to almost take the same pr- approach that St. Thomas did last year, a team that had six Division three athletes on them. It is what it was. Um, but instead, uh, Rico, a hell of a coach, by the way, hell of a human being as well, um, worked with them. He demanded a lot out of them. And more importantly, I think what it showed was you can take a team, get them together, play on the same page. I'm going to push you as hard as I can via Herb Brooks-esque, right? And they yeah. darn near stole a game and maybe arguably minus, you know, ref ball probably could have um, in the CCHA. They gained a lot of respect. And, and dare I say, it's, they stole my heart a little bit toward the end of the college uh, hockey season because they were that feel-good story. Miami can do that. 
But again, it, it, it takes a lot of effort. It takes commitment from both the coaching staff and the players. And dare I say, maybe a little bit of puck luck, too. And I think you need a little bit of both for Miami to get out of this. I don't know if you call it a rut, or, but just to try to build some success. And this program needs it again. Um, it's not been far removed that they were a national championship contender. Um, this you know, Miami hockey franchise has had successful seasons in the past, and I would love to see it get back to that. Um, they're just in a very tough spot, and you know, they need a little bit of things to go their way, but they also need uh, a good recruiting class. We'll get to that here in a moment. They need, yeah. um, again, another gear from their coaching staff, and they need probably a couple pieces to fall in their lap and uh, go and run with it. Eight seniors, seven juniors, nine sophomores, and five freshmen rounded out the crew of 29 for this team last year. On that group moving into this season, um, four of them have made departures. Uh, ben Dexheimer is headed to Wisconsin. He was a freshman last year. Sophomore Kirk Larson to Western Michigan. And the two that will be in this next list here, uh, senior Chase Gresick to Bowling Green and senior Derek Dashey, of course, to Duluth here. So what I kind of did is I picked uh, the top forwards from last season, a couple of top defensemen and the top goaltenders for the team. So starting with the forwards here, uh, PJ Fletcher, who was a sophomore last season, uh, 35 games played, played in all but one contest, 24 points for him, four power play goals and only a dash three goal differential. So pretty impressive season for him. Matt Berry, who was a senior last year, uh, he was minus 20, but finished with one less point at 23 points uh, in all 36 games uh, for him and added three power play goals to his credit. Um, a guy who's going to be a real bright spot, I think, coming up next uh, this upcoming season, Matthew Barbellini, who's a sophomore, had 22 points uh, and six power play goals. So think about that. Uh, they had whatever it was. I can't remember the stat. Let's see if I can find it here real quick. 29 power play goals. He had six of them. So think about that in terms of production was minus 13 on the season. And Chase Gresick, who is, who is uh, like we had talked about, uh, 21 games played for him only, uh, was almost a point-per-game player with 19 tallies, uh, two power play goals, and was only minus two, but of course made his departure to Bowling Green, so that's a tough loss. Uh, on the backside, I only had two guys that really stood out to me. Of course, Derek Dashke, the senior. Um Played in every single game, 28 points for him. Uh, had one power play goal and a minus 18 rating, but was just under 0.8 points per game. He set it to Duluth. And the next defenseman on the points category was Dylan Moulton, who's a sophomore, um, who, who was last season. 10 points for him, two power play goals. So, uh, And the backstop for this Red Hawks team, as it always has been, uh, Ludwig Pearson, uh, who is entering his junior year this upcoming season, 32 games played for him, a 6-23-2 record, a 3-9-3 goals against, 8-9-4 save percentage in just over 1,860 minutes uh, in tending the Red Hawks goal. So, Nick, obviously, uh, Gresick and Dashke, two guys that are really tough to lose here. We'll get yeah. to the freshman in a second. But, you know, are, are there any guys that you saw from last year's group that, you know, kind of jumping ahead a little bit, you know, like Matthew Barbellino, who you think, you know, are poised to have another good year or maybe kind of be that breakout guy that's going to carry the play now? Well, Barbellini for sure is at the top of my list. Um, and, you know, you talk about his impact on the power play. I mean, what almost a quarter of their power play goals. Um, he's fast, uh, great set of hands, and again, a good shot. Um, he's going to effectively have to carry the mail per se. But I want to go back to the goaltender Ludwig Pearson because, yeah. you know, you mentioned this was at the three nine so goals against, but how about the eight nine four save percentage? If you actually put those numbers together, yeah, those aren't terrible. 
all things considered, he yeah. was peppered with yeah. a lot of shots. Um, in fact, dare I say that a lot of the times he was the best player on the ice. Um, yeah. And in tough games, I, I still remember, was it game one um, against the Huskies uh, at the Herbrush National Hockey Center? They left him in the entire game. And even I was a little confused as to why they never, um, you know, gave him the pull. Um, but, you know, to Miami's credit, you know, I don't know what you do in that situation when you're, you're at the hat, you know, end of February. Um, you probably know where you're going as far as the standings are concerned. But so why not give somebody else a shot? I don't know. Um, and maybe this is one of those coaching type situations or maybe it's a mental game where it's like, I need you to be able to recover from this. Um, so to me, a lot of this starts with Pearson and net. I, I think he's going to have a bounce back year again, Barbellini up front. There's a lot of holes in the depth of this organization, but you're talking about two guys. You're going to have to really lead it. it. To me, it's those two. Uh, I'm curious to know if there's anybody else that you can look at this roster, at least that are returners um, that you could see trying to carry some of that mail. Yeah, certainly a lot of obviously good players here. Really, I, I I know it's cliche, but I really do look to this freshman class, and we'll get to them in a second. The only thing that I'm trying to check on here, um, St. Cloud, uh, I want to see the box score from the next night here. I wanted to see who was in net because it feels like it's been ages since I've actually gotten a chance to check out uh, any college hockey stuff. Let's see here. Um, I wanted to see who was in net. Um, yeah, Ludwig Pearson again played in that eight to nothing loss the following night. If I remember right, I think Kirk Larson and Logan Neaton. Um, I'm trying to remember, was one of them hurt? I feel like their main backup was hurt. Maybe that was part I of the reason right. too. Yeah. Um, I and I could totally be wrong. It's not the first time it's happened. I uh, today anyway. Um, so as will be the last. For yeah, you and me both, dude. Honestly, so um, but the upcoming season, I think I do point to that freshman group, and the reason I say that: eight seniors, nine juniors, and four sophomores, nine freshmen dotting this roster of 30 players, uh, six forwards and three defensemen rounding out, 17 total forwards, 10 defensemen, and two net miners on this group so far. So let's go through the nine freshmen. And, Nick, it's kind of funny. Uh, I tell you what, if you are a Dubuque Fighting Saints fan, well, you are essentially a Miami Redhawks fan at this point because literally <laughs> the, half of their uh, defense core and forward core was <laughs> – literally going to be on this team next season. So Axel uh, Kumlin uh, from Stockholm, Sweden, six foot one, 195 pounds. He played in Dubuque. Um, he's going to wear number three, had 22 points in 58 games and a plus 24 rating on the back end. That is not too shabby. Um, no. Two other defensemen that are going to be joining um, Michael Feenstra from Grand Haven, Michigan, six foot three, 195 big boy on the back end uh, playing for Dubuque as well. Five seasons. Um, with the club, second in team history in games played, had 47 points in 190 total games, a plus 46 career rating in the USHL, and double-digit assist totals with 16 and 14 in the past two seasons, respectively. To round out to the defensive core, uh, the Harrison Township, Michigan native, six foot two, one ninety, um, a plus thirty-four rating and nineteen assists for Zane Dembski on the back end as well. Or excuse me, Dempsey, not Dembski, uh, on the back end. So you've got all three of these defensemen coming from a team that's very well proven in the Dubuque Fighting Saints. Have you ever heard of Johnny Gaudreau by chance? Um, never heard of him. So let's start with those three defensemen. Uh, you talked about the defense. You talked about the plus minus that so eloquently is a double-edged sword for rating really poor teams, uh, at least conference-wise like Miami has been. Are these three guys that you think are going to make an impact here? 
So it's funny that you mentioned it's Dubuque 2.0, right? Yeah. This could actually be the smartest strategy for Miami that they've had in a while. Because they already see how their product functions. Mm-hmm. Yep. And more importantly, they, their product in the ice knows each other. Yep. Uh, that's the big thing. So, yeah, actually. Um, I'm all and these about are, it. I'm yeah. all about it. Um, and first of all, the size is there. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Um, Derek Dashke was what six three, six four, if I remember. He was a yeah. bigger, bigger defenseman. Uh, obviously, we haven't seen these guys skate, so you're kind of wondering. I imagine Dubuque, pretty decent squad. They probably can skate relatively good. Um, big thing is, you know, how do they transition? Right. I think that was one of the biggest weaknesses for Miami was their transition hockey uh, last season. They, the second period was just brutal for Miami. I remember watching that series again up at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. A lot of times they were pinned down for 90 seconds, maybe two minutes. And, yeah. you know, at that point, they're gassed and they're just flipping the puck out, just try to relieve pressure and then try to change and just no momentum, nothing that was driving really their opponent back to their own end besides just trying to get fresh bodies on the ice. And so they're going to be critical with this. And it's especially with the departure of Derek Dashke, who was, to me, their mm-hmm. biggest bright spot in the back end, these three in tandem. Um, they're going to be needed uh, to be able to do that. If you can at least have one of them as a pairing, I would imagine that's probably part of the, the grand plan per se for Bergeron. That could be huge. Now, again, as freshmen um, in the NCAA ranks, going from juniors, there's a, there's a curve. We saw this with Jack Peart with St. Cloud, right? Where there's a lot of natural talent there, but just trying to figure out the speed, uh, a yeah. little bit of different things, right? So I think there's you- a lot of promise there. You know, I wonder if there's a little bit less pressure playing for a team that maybe has struggled in the past couple of seasons like Miami, though, and knowing that the freshman core is so big that maybe you kind of realize that, you know what, we're going to be impact players in this lineup, and it is a little bit about the process like we talked about earlier. could be um, the opposite, too, where, you know, you almost – and I'm, I'm talking about from the player's perspective where you yeah. take it as I could be the change, and there is yeah. more pressure on me because – there's a lot of, there's maybe some pieces here. We just can't maybe put them together and maybe I can be that glue. So it depends on how you look at it. Right. No, and you kind of hope that they take what you mentioned, which is, well, let's just go out there and play hockey. You have fun. Maybe the the stars fall or maybe they take it as I'm going to come in here and be Superman. And uh, more often than not, if you have fun first, um, yeah, that usually votes better. Simple, simple game, small biscuit, big basket, right? Uh, no one, no, no one, of course, knows that better pass than the other. Score. Yeah, the score. pass shoot score. Uh, no, <laughs> no one knows that better than uh, the other Dubuque fighting saint, who's on the forward side, uh, William Hallin, uh from Gothenburg, Sweden. Um, Twenty-one points for him in forty-nine games for Dubuque this past year. Um, Max Dukovitz, uh coming in. Uh, from uh, Aurora, Illinois, I believe, the Langley Riverman BCHL product. uh, 59 points for him during 51 games in the BC, 14 points in 15 playoff games, led the team in scoring. I had a very impressive run. Had a cup of coffee in the USHL as well, too, but we've seen it happen before where some of these BC guys actually kind of have a resurgence and really find their confidence when they kind of go back to the BC um, and really kind of light it up. So I'm interested to see what he does on the front end. John Waldron, um, the Batavia, Illinois uh, product. By the way, um, I forgot to mention William and Max, respectively, 6'1", 187, and 6'2", 182. So a couple of other big forwards uh, coming in. 
And then, sense a trend here. Yeah, no kidding. And, <laughs> and John Waldron, uh, how about 6'1", 185? Why not? Waterloo Blackhawks in the USHL. 60 points in 110 regular season games with Waterloo. Um, finished with 45 points last season and adding uh, three points in six playoff contests as well. So uh, a couple of good additions on the forward side. Uh, we've got... Uh, a couple more to go here, and I'm going to butcher this name, and I apologize so much, Frankie. Um, Frankie Caraguello, I think is how you might say it. Um, that is definitely an Italian name, probably, if I've ever heard one. Uh, Woodbridge, Ontario native, 5'10", 173. Um, a little bit on the smaller side, playing for Chilliwack in the BCHL. Um 24 points in 27 games and also spent the year prior in the USHL um, with Muskegon and, and the Lumberjacks telling four points in 25 appearances. So, you know, there's a guy that, you know, maybe might be what we call quote unquote undersized, although he's really not that undersized, um, you know, and he's got to be a guy that I think maybe relies a little bit on his speed. Um, Yami Krenla and Zach Okabe have entered the chat. Yeah, no kidding. Two more forwards here uh, on the list. Uh, the Bratislava Slovakia native, Artur Taranski, who um, was an absolute stud in the Nall last season, playing for Lone Star, 66 points in 60 games, plus 25 rating, and was a top 10 scorer in the league. I mean, he's a fantastic addition for this club, standing at 5'11", 176. So again, you talk about a guy that maybe isn't the biggest person, uh, still very productive, as was uh, St. Cloud Norseman's own uh, Blake Mesenberg, uh, the Orono, Minnesota native at 5'11", 183, 62 points in 59 regular season contests, um, and adding six points in 11 playoff contests. Now, he's in the Central Division, so as I work for the Minot Minotauros, uh, I got a chance to see Blake play plenty of times, and boy, he's got one heck of a release, a very smart hockey player, really good IQ, uh, and one of those guys that's going to be a great addition to this Miami roster. So, Nick, the forward side, obviously a couple of guys that uh, that are going to be good additions with the six forwards that are there. Um, you're kind of seeing a little bit of trend with some size, but also uh, some water bugs kind of buzzing around there. I mean, anything that stands out to you about these six players? So a couple of things, right? Um, a big reason why you like those water bugs, right? Not speaking because I was one or anything like that. Um, you know, <laughs> still, you have still some are. size there, right? Um, <laughs> thank you, Caleb. Um, <laughs> um, but you, you sense like, okay, you've got some size. So, you know, maybe you have some F1s. Uh, to go in there and make the initial contact, maybe win some board battles. Um, you have a little bit more of that, you know, maybe puck protection there. Then you have, again, your F2s, your F3s come and swoop in, pick up and try to, you know, maintain possession. But again, how does this all gel? Right. You no. Know, so there's, there's the, the ingredients are there. So if you're making a sauce from scratch, you've got your garlic, you've got your pepper, you've got your rosemary, maybe some basil. Um, you've got some tomato sauce there. Um, so what are we missing? Uh, right. I don't know, not much. Um, for those who for those who play in the home game, no, I do not how to make a sauce from scratch. That was just yeah. randomly throwing stuff out. Um, yeah, my mom would be terrified. Um, <laughs> just remember <laughs> to no. warm up. Just remember to warm up the noodles at the same time as the as the sauce. Right. Uh, yeah. Late. Anyways, for for yeah. those who yeah, that's an inside yeah. joke. So we're, we're not talking about anybody's significant other. <laughs> not me. No. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot to like there. You know, as far as that's a big, a big recruiting class, which they desperately needed um, to, you know, fill some gaps per se. Um, so I'm curious to all it comes together. I mean, you got some veteran presence there. Again, you've got, I think the most important piece you do have a veteran in Lynn Pearson and that. So it kind of maybe help calm some things down. You got a very, what, half and half freshman group versus 
um, those who aren't a freshman, maybe depending on how the roster shakes out. Um, yeah. It's going to be a young club. Um, and I think that for the most part, um, you know, if they can at least inject some speed and maybe just, again, try to go down and maybe just hang on to the puck for a little bit. There's one thing I noticed about Miami last year, one of their biggest deficits was just no offensive zone time. Um, you know, a lot of time against spent their own end. So if you can at least accomplish that, um, you can build from that. You can start talking about cycling and maybe just some different four checks. Uh, but you got to spend time in the offensive zone first. And so there's still a lot of things to like here. Again, how does it all, you know, translate to results on the ice? We'll have to wait and see. But I think overall, yeah, to give the coach stuff a little bit of credit here because there's a lot of ingredients there that seem that they would mesh together. Uh, what are your quick thoughts on how what we see in this this pot per se? Yeah, of, uh, my Blackhawks. Yeah, you know it's kind of interesting because uh, you know they're a group like you mentioned that they are kind of young, but they do have that veteran presence as well too. And I was uh, curious to take a look at the stats from last year. I mean, PJ Fletcher, like we talked about, who is the second uh, leading scorer on the team behind Derek Dashie, um, highest scoring four last year. He's going to be a junior this upcoming season. Matthew Barbellini, who's going to be a junior as well too. Um, don't forget you've got the Savage brothers, Red and Ryan Savage, which two great hockey names, uh, as well as Joe Cassetti, who are going to be with those yes. yeah who are going to be uh, uh, a sophomore paired with two seniors in that uh respect uh dylan molton who is the next highest scoring defenseman will be a junior as long as uh with hampus Ridefist as well um so you've got a couple of guys i think in that sophomore junior category um and of course uh don't forget your seniors obviously at this point well refined in the game of hockey um that i think are going to be really good impact guys here and i think if you can get everything that you expect and then that extra gear from those returning guys, and then maybe the freshman group surprises you, this Miami team could very well give us a surprise. I think when you have a big freshman class like this, you have a lot of unknowns. I want to throw a comparable out there. Granted, they ended up winning a national championship, but we talked about it last year. Denver's incoming class and their freshman group turned sophomore was going to be pivotal, that underclassman group for that team. I got to say, I think it panned out well for them in the end. Yes. Uh, so I think that's kind of obviously we don't, you know, I, at this point, I don't expect the Red Hawks to maybe run away with things. But I think as we have them sitting at eighth place right now, it's very, very fair to say that they could definitely be a lot higher than that, depending on how their freshmen perform this season and how their returners obviously are able to continue and grow on the success that they've had, albeit maybe somewhat limited just because of the way that Miami um, has fared record wise. Uh, in recent times as far as their schedule coming up uh, the last point that we're going to hit on before some uh, some fan things here uh, they do open the season October 1st and 2nd against Ferris State followed by a road trip to both UMass Lowell and Canisius uh, first conference play they'll host Denver at home uh, and then moving Ouch. in yeah and then they'll, <laughs> uh, yeah and then moving into November they head to Western Michigan host Colorado College and then head to North Dakota and then um, they host both Michigan State and then St. Cloud in the early part of December to end the first half of their season. Uh, second half of their schedule kicks off with a matchup at the end of December against Niagara, uh, a couple games at home there. And then uh, kind of a brutal non-conference schedule to start off the second half. They travel to both Denver and Omaha in January before hosting North Dakota at home, then traveling to St. Cloud, hosting Omaha again, heading to Duluth and then finishing with Western Michigan before the quarterfinal action on March 11th and 12th. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to see uh, where this team is going to end up. But uh, before we get to our listener question, 
Um, and we'll try to do this for every team, Nick. Um, maybe we'll do the listener question first, and then we'll do the final final culmination here. Uh, the sure. listener question, of course, is from Caleb P. Body. He wants to know one why you, why Alex and Micheletti have not bought him dinner. Um, I still don't have an answer for you, Caleb. I don't. I mean, that's it's on you, Nick. I'm just saying. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I'm the most like deflective. You know, you know, you know, here's the here's the thing. If I'm Caleb and I'm sitting here listening to you talk about all your sauces and spices that you're getting ready to put on your pasta, I'm livid right now. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, speaking of the right ingredients in the right mix, his actual question is, will Miami improve from a record standpoint this season? For a reminder, for a refresher, 727 and two overall, 419 and one in conference play. Will they get better than four wins in conference play and more than seven wins overall this season? I think they do. Um, and again, you talk about how they're the toughest team to predict because of how much or how many new faces they have. Um, but they also have the highest ceiling, right? Um, yeah. Out of all the teams, because we, like you said, we just don't know. But there's a lot to like um, about this squad. It just all matter. Does it come together um, and, and gel into something beautiful um, as an on uh, ice product? And I do think there's a lot of um, good mix there. Um, and the schedule is going to be tough, um, especially early on, right? Um, but I think, again, you talk, we talked about this earlier. You know, if there was an opportunity to maybe get some early confidence, you take a split early on in that Denver series, okay. Defending national champions, yeah, we took a split with them. You know, why not? You get some maybe non conference um, uh, wins under your belt. Yeah. I mean, why not? And yeah, I mean, to, to, put, to put it in Miami's, you know, sort of give them a little bit of a, a knock too. They have the toughest travel uh, out of everybody in the NCHC as far as distance traveled, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't help things for them either. But again, a lot of new faces, they haven't maybe got us and maybe the unknown helps them a little bit. So um, we'll see. I do think they improve. I'm not sure if it's going to be marketable. Um, I'm not sure we'll be judging Miami though by its record i think we'll be judging them by how they look at the end of the season as we discussed before because yeah. i think i would still give them a better grade despite let's just say the record's the same but we can see a different way that they're playing the game and executing things maybe they just didn't get a couple bounces right as hockey yeah. sometimes the puck just doesn't go your way some nights and, um, and, and i think it kind of goes to your point and i think that maybe that's where the stats come back in handy where it's like you know, if you have a winning percentage of maybe, you know, 300 or something like that, but your goal differential is only like minus 22, you know, and your shot differential is minus 80. Well, then you know that you've been in hockey games and you just, you know, you couldn't find that extra goal or you just couldn't find that extra bounce versus getting right. your doors blown off potentially. Obviously, the St. Cloud weekend certainly puts a skew into a lot of things from last season for this yes. Red House club, um, but they fundamentally were a flawed hockey team uh, when it comes to NCHE action. Hopefully they can improve on that next Next season our final wrap-up that we're going to do for uh every one of these here nick uh if you're the miami redhawks uh what is the goal next season and if you're st cloud state how do you stop them meaning the redhawks from getting a victory against the huskies i think if you're miami you just have to believe honestly i it sounds cliche but again there's so many new faces you you have yes a, a similar coaching staff but to believe means you're committing to what the coaching staff is trying to put on the ice, whether that is just hit everything that moves, whether that is get me at least 20 shots on net a game. 
you have to commit, you have to believe. And if you do that with that many new faces, you got yourself a chance. Now, will they accomplish that? Hard to say. Yeah. Um, how does St. Cloud stop that? Well, again, kind of similar situation. Go out there and don't, you know, respect your opponent. Um, again, with Miami, um, the the numbers are brutal. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those times where it's, you know, it's not like you're disrespecting the opponent because again, I'm not a I'm not a fan that says the mercy rule. You know, there's yeah. there's a contest there, and yes, maybe the score is ugly per se from a fan's perspective, but it ain't over till it's over, right? So yeah, keep doing the things that you're doing for St. Cloud. You are the more talented team. You are the more deep team. Um, you have all the tools to be a very good competitive team, not only in the conference, but also in the country in terms of pairwise rankings. So don't give them an edge. You know, continue to be your identity, being the skill speed team that you are, and don't fall into what Miami may want to do. That is sometimes maybe beat yourself up, you know, fall into the trap, maybe get lazy, uh, you know, maybe get a little bit complacent per se. Um, that's how you that's how you just don't let yourself get beat and you go you take a game to Miami. Yeah, I think if you're St. Cloud facing this Red Hawks team with a lot of unknowns that we're going to get the answer to as we obviously move farther and farther into the season, uh, I think, number one, you have to do what you did last year and kind of be an unrelenting force. You kind of have to keep your foot on the gas pedal. It feels like, especially when you're at home, uh, and facing this Red Hawks club, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, St. Cloud, uh, yes, has them February 17th and 18th at home. Use that big ice sheet and, you know, really widen the rink and really use your speed and skill to kind of get them out of position. When you get a team like that running around, I think that becomes uh, part of an issue to try to uh, continue to try to contain that. If I'm the Red Hawks, though, next season, my number one goal, um, it's a simple one, Nick, finish six or higher in the NCHC. I think that's a good benchmark to set um, compared to past couple of seasons and a new incoming group. You talked about that belief. You have an end goal in mind. You want to finish six or higher. Um, and then if you can accomplish that goal, then the next season, maybe you're shooting for home ice, right? So, um, right. you know, I think it's those building blocks that Chris Bergeron has to put his stamp on this team and the coaching staff, you know, as they bring this new group in. Uh, it should be an exciting time. And as always, we wish the Miami Red Hawks the best of luck in all NCHC action, except, of course, when it's against our St. Cloud State Huskies. That will do it for the main portion of the show. We're going to head on to the extra eye session where we're going to talk all things Chicago Blackhawks. And welcome into the extra ice session. Noah Grant, that's me, with Nick Maxson, who's on the that's left me. of your screen. Yeah, wearing a... Uh, I I, that yeah. one blank. You, you set me up for that. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I don't know. It did. I mean, do you, did you expect any less from me? I mean, come on. That's fair. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, here's the thing, you know, if you're listening in the car, maybe we sound the same. I have no idea. Just kidding. I listen back to every one of our episodes and we do not sound the same. You sound a lot more articulate than, than I do. Um, but someone who has Some articulated, yeah, but someone who has articulated uh, things very actively here. And clearly. Um, yeah. In a, in a very um, well worded set of paragraphs that essentially uh, the shorthand is trade requests. Uh, uh, J Jonathan Taves, uh, essentially stating the Blackhawks five-year plan doesn't sound appealing to me at all. Um, on top of that, like you mentioned with the Dallas Stars, Patrick Kane is actively-ish being shopped around the National Hockey League right now. I think the, the thought is that uh, both players who are in the final year of a $10 million average annual value deal would have to have 50% salary retained for a team to probably even take a chance on that. Um, Patrick Kane's going to command a return. I think Jonathan Taves maybe a little less, probably a middle six centerman, third line centerman on a potential Stanley Cup contending team. 
But nonetheless, Nick, uh, this Chicago Blackhawks club, uh, who's been in the news for a variety of things, uh, notwithstanding being the one, two, three, four, five, sixth lowest paying team, um, uh, they have a projected amount and cap space of just under $10.6 million, um, barely getting to the cap floor at this particular point. You must be envious um, of Arizona. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really sure. They've got four UFAs coming up next uh, next season. Uh, one RFA currently right now, as well as Caleb Jones, who's a current RFA yet to be signed, and then one UFA next year on the goaltending side, which is Alex Daylock. All the rest of their defensemen are locked up to this point. Um, you know, Nick. Before we get into their depth chart, um, uh, let's just ask the straight up question: One, do Jonathan Taves? and or Patrick Kane get traded at some point this season? And number two, if you think so, does it happen before the regular season even opens? No, no, I don't. Because um, at, at the end of the day, the way that NHL GMs approach the offseason is there's the big free agents, right? The ones that are actually available. Um, you're looking at, you have a amount of cap space that you're looking at, um, again, and I think at the end of the day, these two players are high profile players. That's what throws a wrench in this a little bit is that they're going to have a say no matter where they're going. And yeah. I think that's where, um, and I'm not sure again, there's, there's been conflicting reports. I think Mark Lazarus at the athletic that tweeted something that uh, Kane had not been being shopped around. Now, mind you, there could be some truth to both sides, right? Where maybe they, they weren't shopping him, but maybe teams were calling and maybe Dallas is the one that called. So same conversation who initiates maybe the opposite, right? But yeah, no, they're not being traded before the deadline. Not a lot of teams that either of those guys would probably want to go to, AKA a playoff slash cup contender don't have the space for them right now. Um, and I just don't think right now um, they had bigger fish to fry, meaning Chicago, um, meaning to actively roll the tanks. Um, so they, they trade Alex to bring it as I had mentioned was a double-edged sword where it's if you're going to trade them, you do it now because you get the best value on it, even though they got absolute dirt for him. I think that was a terrible trade by uh, the GM of the Blackhawks. Um, but yeah. you signaled it. They, they threw up the white smoke. We're going to be changing the guard here. And uh, you can see with Taves' comments that um, he sees it. Um, it sounds like uh, Kyle Davidson has been very upfront about the direction of the club, a.k.a. we want Connor Bedard, I guess. Um, so... We'll see. Um, I just, again, I don't see them being traded before the season. If anything, they are a trade at deadline acquisition. Um, because if I'm the player too, let's think of it this way. Let's, let's throw this on the player who I think has the final control. I, I'm not sure if any of these guys have no, either no move clauses or limited no trade clauses. Even if they don't, I still think they've earned the respect of the organization when you three Stanley Cups with them, that they probably have at least a little bit of say in where they're going. And I think if I'm the players, I want to wait to at least the trade deadline to see who is in it, who is out of it. Does any team have a hole? Um, do I want to go to this team or that team? Um, so I, I just, I, if anything, they would be traded at the earliest trade deadline. Now, again, for Chicago's PR, for Chicago's brand sake, um, you know, it's also possible to finish off the season too without moving. I doubt that. Yeah. Um, and, and they go to free agency, but We'll put it to you this way. Are they Chicago Blackhawks at this time next uh, a year from now, 12 months? I'm starting to very much doubt that. 
So, uh, as you mentioned, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, both full no-move clauses, as well as Seth Jones. As far mm-hmm. as modified no-trade clauses, Tyler Johnson, uh, who has two years left on his deal, has a 20-team trade list. Um, Jake McCabe. That was Chicago. I think we need to make that clear. That, yeah. was the Tampa, that was the Tampa contract, I believe, before he was traded. Yeah, Jake McCabe, uh, defenseman, 17 no-trade list. And Peter Mrazek, uh, 10-team no-trade list. And a 10-team no-trade list for Connor Murphy as well, who's on injured reserve. Now, Nick, I want you to do an exercise for me. Um, and no, I'm not going to make you do the splits because we don't want to see that pain on TV. Neither but, do I. <laughs> but, but here's what I want you to do. This uh, depth chart is off of Cap Friendly, but it um, related mm-hmm. updates are coming from Cap Friendly underscore depth charts um, is where this is coming from. So I'm going to read 18 skaters, two goaltenders, and three healthy scratches as they have listed on Cap Friendly. I want mm-hmm. you to count how many of the names you legitimately know on this team. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So, um, and there'll be quite a few, don't get me wrong. This is the national hockey league, but um, we'll start um, and listed in the order. I'm going to go left wing center, right wing through the 12 forwards. And then the three D pairings, two goaltenders. Okay. Yep. Lucas Reichel, Jonathan Taves, yep. Patrick Kane. Yep. That's first line. Andreas, Anthony, see Max yep. Domi, Tyler Johnson. Yep. Sam Lafferty, yes. Jujar Kiara, Colin yep. Blackwell, yep. Philip Kurashev, Mackenzie yep. Entwistle, Taylor yes. Radish. Yes. Alex Vlasic, Seth Jones, Jake McCabe, yep. Connor Murphy, yep. Riley Stillman, Caleb Jones. Yes. Peter Morazic, Alex Stalock, yep. Boris Kachuk, Reese Johnson, Alec Regula. Yes. Kind of. Like... <laughs> Like, I mean, there's some names that I think we, we've heard around, but, like, that is not a sexy depth chart, man. Like, Well, let's, let's go through this, right? So Lucas Reichel, um, a younger kid. Uh, obviously, we don't need to go up with Kanan Tapes, but Andreas Anthony former Detroit Red Wing. He's bounced yeah. around a little bit. Um, incredibly fast skater. Yes. Um, but just maybe not a complete hockey player. Max Domi, we all know him as he's bounced around a little bit. Tyler Johnson, again. Um, between Tampa and some other teams, Sam Lafferty, um, I believe was once a Buffalo Saber, if I recall. Um, Jujar Kara, um, yes, Jujar Kara, former Oiler, yeah, Oiler, Colin Blackwell. Um, he's been around the league, I think, a little bit. Yes, um, Philip Kurashev, again, one of the Chicago um, draftees. Mackenzie Entwistle was still a younger player, but I believe was acquired via trade. Taylor Radish, same thing, old. I think he was a big impact player for uh, for Team Canada for World Juniors not a couple of years ago. Yep. Um, Alex Vlasic, um, not a household name, uh, but still young as Seth Jones. We all know former Blue Jacket Jake McCabe, former Buffalo Sabre Connor Murphy. Um, also, I believe a former um, uh, Columbus Blue Jacket Riley Stillman. Um, why does that name sound familiar? Wasn't he former NCHC material? Uh, that's a great question, Riley Stillman. Uh, drafted in the fourth round by Florida, and to answer your Sam that's Lafferty was. and yep. to answer your Sam Lafferty question, he was drafted in 2014 in the same round uh, by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Penguins, uh, okay. Riley and then, Stillman. yeah, Caleb Jones. Um, I'm, I might be thinking of Corey Stillman. And that's what I was thinking of too. Let's see. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, Caleb Jones again, uh, middle of the pack kind of guy. We all know about Peter Barazic. He's bounced around Alex Stalock. Um, Minnesota Wild fans know him. The Scratches, uh, Boris Kachuk, Reese Johnson, and Alec Regula. Um, not household names either. So I believe those are younger players as well. But 
besides the sexy part, Noah, this is not at all the depth of talent that we saw in 2015, the last Chicago Stanley Cup yeah. victory, um, where you had guys like Duncan Keith, you had guys like Brent Seabrook, um, many of the back at Nicholas Jalmerson, again, up front. Um, I believe, uh, was Hosa on the team still? I think he yeah. was. Um, yeah. You know, and it's just, it's interesting because like you talked about, um, you know, the cap hit with you have $10.6 million in cap space. You have 19 on your current roster, 41 out of your 50 contracts that you can have. So you're going to be adding another body or two to the NHL roster, obviously. Um, Via training camp trial, and you're, basically. Yeah, and you're trying to potentially, at some point, potentially maybe, um, have Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane not a part of the fold anymore. You know, the question is, Chicago, if they're in a full-scale rebuild, um what do you do with that cap space? You know, why are they not spending towards the cap? Are they waiting for something in the future? Why are they not going after some of these bigger fish that were on the free agency? Would Nazem Kadri not look good in a Chicago Blackhawks uniform, for example? I, I think the question is backwards. Why would Nazem Kadri, after winning Stanley Cup, go yeah. to Chicago Blackhawks? So um, I Money. didn't mean to tear down your question, but I believe Money. that's more of, yeah. Uh, the money is there, though. There's no question about it. If yeah. Nazem Kadri wanted to be um, in the Windy City, um, if he wanted to play hockey and didn't really care about the winning percentage and you know wanted to be a veteran guy and just get a paycheck, probably not the worst place to go. But it sounds like for for Kadri again, it's and it, it appears also Colorado, just on a side tangent, is is potentially trying to get like a three team trade together um, yeah. to try to make some space for him. So because it, it, I guess for me, if Kadri was all about the money, I think we wouldn't have seen a signing yet. So I think he is waiting to see if Colorado can pull something for him because I think he does want to return. Um, so you have two facets, right? When a team has trade, excuse me, not trade space, that doesn't work, cap space, um, question is, what do they do with it? But again, with Chicago trading Alex to it, which was what we thought was going to be their sort of leader, their you know, their centerpiece for their next generation of talent. And you trade that out. That's a pretty strong message to not only younger players, but I think also the rest of the league too, of where this, this um, franchise is going and, you know, for, for Kadri and for any other big prize for agents. I mean, why go there? Cause again, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's not attractive right now. And so yeah. I think your best bet, and maybe they look to the Toronto Maple Leafs and maybe it's like Kyle, the Kyle Dupas mathematics is, well, if you're banking to get Connor Bedard, you're going to eventually have to pay him. So we need to save our money now. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Um, but I think you have a two-part answer to a two-part question. Well, let's talk about more two-part questions. And these are my final two ones here. Just kind of a short little extra ice session here. Just an interesting topic that I thought would be kind of fun. Of course, don't forget, speaking of Connor Bedard and some other really good players, we do have the World Juniors coming up in August that we get to talk about too. So that'll be exciting and a little bit of extra fun. We'll have some uh, extra content to be talking about, obviously. Um, and I think all the eyes in the hockey world are going to be on that one. Uh, but my first part of this question is, uh, for each player, respectively, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, what would you say the percentage is on either side that they either re-sign with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks in some way, shape, or form, or are gone from the Chicago Blackhawks in some way, shape, or form? What would you What would you say for either of them? So I said this with DeBrinket when they were it was black and white. I'm going to say for both, zero percent chance they're re-signed and 100 percent they're gone. Okay, so part I number do. yeah. So part number question of that uh, discussion is. 
what are the top destinations to land each player in your opinion? Oh, good question. So I think there is something to be said about Patrick Kane to the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. I do think there's something there. Um, but the Rangers, though, Nick. <laughs> the Rangers? I mean, you yeah. you got to give the Rangers credit. They've been creative at getting some talent there. The problem is, is that they would also have to give up a haul. Um, and you kind of wonder with Chicago, too. And, and here's where the disadvantage of Chicago, right, is that everybody knows what they're trying to do. So now your leverage is a lot less. And I think if Chicago, you're not looking for immediate help necessarily. Um, you're probably looking for picks. Now, mind you, they have yeah. uh, two first-round picks this year, two first-round picks next year, um, both from the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, who happen to be, um, I believe, their 2015 Cup final contender, if I recall. Yeah. Um, so, huh, irony, right? Um, but yeah. at, at the end of the day, um, you know, their hands kind of showing. So you kind of wonder um, what teams have the space, um, where these how, players would like to go. How um, how terrifying would it be to see Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin on the New York Rangers and back together again? Like, that's just a, that to would me, be nuts. To me, that's a terrifying combination. And in fact, speaking of uh, the New York Rangers, so I'm going to assume are probably, let's see where they're at here. One uh, million dollars in cap space. Yeah, and I want to see. Let's say you retain fifty percent of that, so you still need about six million dollars to come back the other way. Does that mean Chris Kreider goes? No. Uh, Vinny Trocheck, they just acquired uh, acquired him via free uh, via trade. Um, so that means you've got younger guys like Philip Heedle. Yeah, um, where Hockey. where I was where I was curious about, and it wasn't so much this year. Uh, I was curious about where they were at next season. Because, again, the thing to remember is Patrick Kane may be a deadline acquisition for a team he doesn't stay with, too. And then the Rangers mm-hmm. circle back and become, uh, you know, part of something as well, too. So, um, yeah, it's just it's interesting to see where he might end up. Um, I mean, the Dallas Stars, I mean, now they have a little bit of that cap space, like we talked about, to potentially make a move. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked to see them try to make a move. But, again, uh, Patrick Kane also has to waive uh, his no movement clause as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's more more or less challenging for him. Um, Jonathan Taves is a more interesting story. Same yes. amount of cap hit, but not as much value. Um, but definitely, I feel like, has made it more vocal that he wants out the number 88. So, I mean, yes. is there anybody that you think makes sense? Uh, a team that probably needs a middle six or a top-line bottom six center, if that makes sense, a third-line guy. Dare I say the Minnesota Wild? Dare I yeah. say it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Find me, find me the cap space and uh, find me right. Bill Guerin's head on a platter when that one doesn't work out. Hear me this. How insane would Taves, Zuccarello, and Kaprizov be? Yeah. That's almost salivating. Yeah. Now, I should stop there because it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but because... Evgeny Malkin, though, Nick. Evgeny <laughs> Malkin, right. Um, but think about this way, though. This That could work. And when I say yeah. it could work, um, what I'm talking about is for the Minnesota Wild. Um, again, you have. Yeah, one of those yeah. defenseman contracts would be going. Yes, one yeah. of the defenseman contracts. You know, you could, dare I say, Matt Dumba. Yeah. Dare I say it? Could you throw in Dmitry Kulikov as a sweetener? I don't know. Um, yeah. Probably not, but, you know. Yeah. Um, would you would you even need to do both? Because that's the thing, and I know you have no. to keep some cap space for the moves. But I mean, when you get one, when you get to a point where you're at the trade deadline, the salary is not the same cap hit as what you have, and then when you're retaining fifty percent of that salary on top of that, mm-hmm. it becomes somewhat manageable. 
you could do a first round pick plus Matt Dumba for 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 Jonathan Taves. I think that would work, honestly. Um, yeah. And yes, Minnesota Wall fans, you heard it here first. Um, would you, now, would you would you do it though? Do you think he's worth that much to the Minnesota Wild? I think it has more to do with what Jonathan Taves may see in the squad. Um, now, again, a lot of this is barring, you know, how the Minnesota Wild gets, you know, are successful. And, and mind you, maybe the biggest news we didn't touch on, Noah Grandis Kaprizov, according to reports, is safely back in the United States. And so this, you know, anxious period for fans in the up uh, in the upper management uh, yeah. could be could be at rest. So thank goodness for that, right? Yeah. So, um, but I do think, you know, I don't. We'll look at the beer, like just to go on a small thing. Look what Billy Garen did made the trade with Fiala with a Western Conference team with Kevin Fiala. Chicago is in a very deep rebuild, meaning you could trade Kate, uh, Taves to the Wild. You know you're not in contention with them. So you're looking for maybe picks. You're looking for maybe something else. Matt Dumba on one year left. I mean, it's, so, it's not like I don't like Matt Dumba, but if he's the sacrificial lamb here to get Taves, I'd pull the trigger. So for those who have been wondering about uh, Jonathan Taves' production since the little COVID piece and some of the injuries he's had, of course, missing 2020-2021, essentially. But before that, the past three seasons, 2018-19, had 81 points in 82 games. 2019-20, 60 points in 70 games played. And then last season, after returning 37 points in 71 games on a very poor Chicago squad. So um, I definitely I think it would be a, a watch-and-see-and-wait type thing to see what kind of season he obviously has um you know but the, but the thing that's also a, the thing that's also crazy is if you're making the case for jonathan taves in theory nick you can also make the case for patrick kane you, you could know? you absolutely could because the numbers would be the same coming back right yeah. but i do think down the middle is where it's needed most yeah um and i'm not sure because when you have zuccarello and kaprizov in their chemistry yeah I'm not sure you need much more for Taves other than the fact that is he healthy? Yeah. Is he skating well? And that's been the biggest thing. And that same Mark Lazarus piece, again, who does a great job covering the Blackhawks for the athletic. Um, I think one of the things that has not been talked about was uh, Taves and how he feels so much better um, and how he, he seems to be physically more ready for this season. Um, he's ready to have a little bit more compete in his game. Um, you can yeah. tell that whether it's from COVID and again, the injuries too in the past couple of years really, really stalled him a little bit. And if I'm GM Bill Guerin, I'm not necessarily watching his point total because I think you could honestly stick almost any center. I mean, they, this, those two made Victor Rask look good. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, it's not a knock knack on Victor Rask. It just means that they just know how to make it work. You yeah. throw a more dynamic Jonathan Taves in the middle there. That's dangerous. Yeah. Right? You know, there's a, there's a couple teams that I think makes it work, and this is, my, this is my final point for the night. Of course, obviously, the Coyotes, Sabres, Anaheim Ducks, Dallas Stars, Islanders all have the cap space as well. Calgary Flames and the Devils do a little bit. There's one team on this list that I could see a certain general manager pulling off something very well in this regard. Detroit Red Wings have $10.3 million in cap space, Nick, and I feel like that that's a destination that, you know, I know we're talking about rebuilds and that sort of thing, um, but uh, 
they just seem like a team that would be able to maybe pry one of those guys away just with the plan that Steve Eiserman has created. The other team on that list, like I mentioned right above them, is the Calgary Flames. If Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Wieger um, both decide to stay, but you want a rental to chase maybe a Stanley Cup if both of those guys are playing well, um, you know, maybe one of those guys could be a great option too. But uh, those are kind of the couple teams that I'm throwing out there, Nick, uh, just because they do have the ample cap space. Um, do you have any parting thoughts about the Chicago Blackhawks, Patty Kane, Johnny Taves? The, the Hawks are just, they're not going to those places. I'll tell you yeah, that much. Yeah. A five-year rebuild sounds about right here. It does. I mean, again, they signal that we've talked about that ad nauseum the last uh, couple of times we've, we've made them a topic, but I can't yeah. see again, there's, it's two, it's a two way street. When you talk about these openings, right? Does yeah. Detroit, um, it, or is that a approachable thing? And I think at this point in their careers, I don't think they're looking for a playoff contender. I think they're looking for a Stanley Cup contender, um, yeah. which makes that list even more difficult because, again, of the salary cap constraints, a.k.a. mostly with the COVID repercussions and just the fact that the NHL has a hard salary cap. Um, now, that's where I think the Wild actually have a decent shot at it because you're not having to part with immediate a lot of money, meaning you don't need to throw out three four players to get a rental in Taves. I think that you do have a deep enough roster where it's attractive to either one of those two players that want yeah. that they can make help you make a run. Um, Mark Andre Fleury um, maybe has a part in that too. Again, that's probably the biggest question mark you know, going forward, but hard to say. Um, again, I think for Chicago, you're, you're not seeing the East versus West. I think it's everybody's open for business with them. And ultimately those two players are going to make the decision on where they go. Again, if they have that in their in their contracts with the full the full new move clause, but I I don't know uh, we'll have to wait and see because as we know, I mean, we thought the Islanders were going to be back to playoff form and they missed the playoffs. So yeah. at, at the end of the day, you know, well, the NHL was crazy like that. We'd love it for that reason. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But again, I think the biggest part is is what's the sh- and I think maybe this is the question. Maybe this is my final thought. No, is when those two are gone it's going to happen and it's going to happen either at the trade deadline or via free agency next july 1 when we get back to normal scheduling what now becomes or who i should say becomes the face of the chicago blackhawks and do they win the lottery to get connor bedard let's say they don't now what you know again that's part of that five-year rebuild that you're talking about where this is a deep deep restructuring uh in the player department yeah, right now it might be Seth Jones or maybe the seventh overall pick that they just picked, depending on how he pans out, or like you mentioned, the following draft class. But I know one thing, if Patrick Kane ever ended up on the Minnesota Wild, um, we'd have no worries about how to play a puck off a stanchion ever again. Um, <laughs> just ask Ilya Brizgalov. Uh, yeah, I had to throw that one in there, of course. But Nick, I'm not really sure what to do, but what I do know, uh, is that coming up after this week, we should be back to some relatively normal scheduling for the most part, as far as I know, uh, for the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we can get that remedied out. We'll have to see as far as I foresee. And as far as Nick and I have talked, it seems like we're going to be back to normal um, from what we can see. More news, obviously, upcoming. Um, and we'll keep you in the dark a little bit about who the next team in the NCHC preview is going to be. So for Nick Maxson, I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Still Dina Rasmussen fires!
scores and she scores. Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.